Welcome all of you that are joining us online. And uh, we've been on an adventure, right, studying the book of James. And I know some of you maybe Sunday morning haven't really been to the book of James. Well, welcome. And just to remind us all that uh, the first episode, we discovered a power of prayer, right? That the righteous, uh, that the, excuse me, the fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Hallelujah. Thank you for helping me with that. So praise God. We did that power of faith. And then the second one was trials and temptation. And also that if we don't quit, we win. Say that. If I don't quit, I win. We receive the crown of life if we keep on keeping on, keep our eyes on Jesus. And then James is really a book about living the victorious life. It is the book on faith, probably New Testament book on faith. I'm kind of under the impression or opinion of that if Apostle Theo ever wrote a book in the Bible, he probably would have written the book of James because it deals with the tongue, with all sorts of different aspects of the victorious Christian life. Amen? Amen. And it's also the oldest book in the New Testament. James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem church, Christianity has been birthed and spread throughout the world. And we just give him, uh, give God praise for that. Amen? So that today we're going to do episode 3, which is the power of together. Say that with me. There is power, there is power. In, together. in together. God blesses unity. God blesses Amen. Amen. Let's pray and give God thanks for the word this morning. And Father, we just honor you. We worship you. We thank you that we come before your throne of grace. We're grateful to you for your healing, for your provision, your protection. Thank you for your word that has entered our hearts. We receive it gladly. It brings forth abundant faith, Lord. We thank you for a victorious life. Holy Spirit, you're the author of the word, and you are the teacher here this morning. None of us but all of you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for that. And Lord, at this time, we also lift up the people in Ukraine and the conflict that has been going on there, and we declare that it's stopped now in the name of Jesus. We pray and thank you that you're with every one of those people. Thank you. We don't know exactly what, where, or how to pray for it, but we just know that as we ask, we receive that you are undertaking there in Jesus' name. And all those in agreement said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. God is a good God, and He wants us to be victorious in life. We have a victory, and the book of James talks about victory in life. But victory comes when we work the principles of God. Amen. And James is also a, a book that you love and try to avoid at the same time. Because it kind of challenges us in many ways. He says, oh yeah, something like, we want that, but on the other hand, this is the way to get it. Oh, that's a price to pay, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So it's a book that challenges us, but we've been on this Bible study adventure, and it's all kind of to set up today's episode I'd like us to just take a bit of a scenic route. And with that, I mean, you know, we kind of tend to read the Scriptures probably in a particular way. Um, just like we drive to work, to the office, to school, whatever. Probably the same route every single day. Now and again, maybe, and I should challenge us, let's just take a different route home. Or different, today on your way, take a different route to wherever you're going. Not the customary one. And you might just notice, hey, but there's a new shop in my area. There's a new hairdresser. There's a new, uh, oh wow, that house has been painted. Wow, look at that red door, whatever it might be. See something different. And I believe we'll do that this morning with the adventure and the journey we're taking through this particular portion of James. We're just going to see it from a different perspective. 
take ourselves off autopilot. Can we do that? <laughs> now, we know that James, right in the beginning, says he wrote this letter to the church that was scattered and separated. A little bit of what we've been through the past two years. But he then goes on in this particular passage and really talks about, hey, come on now, guys, even though we might be separated in distance, physical and social distancing, we need to kind of come together. There's power in together. God's family needs to be together. It's not made up of individuals. It's made up of the collective body of Jesus Christ. Amen? Your arms and legs don't operate in separate rooms. They come together. So those who joined us online, thank you. But those of Bath, Bath Robe Christians at home watching and you're within driving distance, we'd love for you to join us. Even if you want to come in your PJs, you're welcome to do so. How do we know this? that James is writing about this, that there's power in together. It is evident that James spends a lot of time dealing in this passage in particular, identifies issues or areas that disrupt our faith or trouble our faith or, or troublers of together, troublers of causing problems for us in life. And we're going to call them troublers, disruptors this morning. And in particular in the area of the togetherness, the unity that God talks about. James is saying, he says, I want you to come together, so watch out for the troubler or the disruptor of together called gossip. I want you to come together, so watch out for that disruptor, that troubler called pride and ego. Ouch. I want us to come together, so watch out for that disruptor of together coming out of your mouth speaking division and death. James is on a mission here to restore the power of together. And he's saying, church, watch out for these disrupting troublemakers operating in the background and in the shadows. You know, sometimes we are very focused on the one big enemy that we're always trying to keep focus on, but we don't necessarily see the wood for the trees. And it's not always the big thing. It's the little foxes that come in and spoil the vine. It's those little things that come and cause us problems and we don't know where it's coming from because we always look for the one big deal. There is, the devil is in the details, right? Or the blessing is in the details. Does that make sense? And that's what James is calling our attention to here. He's encouraging us, let's just take a different lap around our neighborhood and see what God is doing. And let's boot out any troublemakers that are causing trouble for our faith and for our togetherness. And one of these disruptors and troublemakers is called favoritism. Say that. Favoritism is a troublemaker. Now James says it loud and he says it clear. This is something that ruins our together. We need to get favoritism out of our families, out of our relationships, out of our mind and out of our thinking. God wants us to be together as a family, not only in proximity. It's not about warm bodies close together. It's about us being knit together in the unity of Christ and who we are in Him. Because God commands a blessing where there is together, where there is unity. I understand that together has been a little bit redefined for us with social distancing and all the rest of it, but 
we are together in faith and together in spirit. Amen? Amen. And we have to fight to keep this together. James here speaks into this idea of together and challenges some of the thinking and the social norms that we have. The ultimate picture of being together is modeled by God Himself. Think about the beauty and the mystery of the Trinity, the Godhead. This is a picture of together that we probably battle to wrap our minds around. God is not lonely, but He is together. The Godhead is not one plus one plus one equals three. No, the Godhead is one times one times one equals one together. Three in one. That's how He created the heavens and the earth, and that's how He created mankind in the Garden of Eden. Once the environment and everything was great and perfect for His children, God rolled up His sleeves and said, I want to get my hands into this. Let us together create man. This is how God, three in one, created mankind. Together to dwell together in unity. So we must be aware of the fact that there's an enemy out there and he hates together. He hates it. Let's realize that we're in a fight to maintain this together. And the reason the devil hates together is because he experienced its beauty. He was in heaven. He heard every voice cry out in unison, holy, holy, holy. And he saw the benefit and the beauty and the power of together and the unity of the Godhead. That was his norm. He experienced it all the time. But then pride rose up. He didn't put down his own agenda and he was kicked out of heaven. No way of going back. He cannot experience the beauty and the power of unity and together. But he can try and get back at God's family and cause division and troublemakers and sow seeds of disruption and trouble so that the family can be divided and therefore he can hinder the work of God because we move forward together under the banner of Christ. God knows and the devil also knows that things change when we come together. He realizes that atmospheres shift when we come together in unity and praise and worship God because where we praise Him, He is there in our midst. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, we read, You were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Listen to this. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. Say that. Everything I do, everything I think, and everything I am is permeated with oneness in Christ. This is God's plan for His family, His body, His church, the power of together. So James, when he gets this part, he's to this part, he says, let's just talk about this troublemaker. Let's talk about this one, the disruptor of oneness. James is saying, let's dissect this. Let's analyze this. Thank you, Lord. 
And as we analyze and we dis dissect this disruptor of unity called favoritism, and as we delve into that, we're going to take this word and we're going to say, what does it sound like? What does it look like? And what does it feel like when we step into the behavior of favoritism? So we're going to take a look at this word. You heard Pastor Reddick earlier say, we're going to take the scenic route. We're going to get to James in a bit. But I want you to get your Bibles ready. We're going to turn to a scripture shortly. And did you get the notes at the door? You've got notes or we've got them on the, on the social media app. So, but before we get there, if we can understand and if we can hear and we can see this word favoritism, then guess what? We can change it. We can make a change. And that is what James is about to do when we get to James 2. But before we get to James 2, turn with me to your, in your Bibles to Romans 2, verse 11. Romans 2, verse 11. You can write in your Bible. And if you don't write in your Bible, get a Bible that you can write in because that's a good Bible to have. And I want you to underline the scripture. And it says, For God does not show favoritism. For God does not show favoritism. And if we've ever needed a clearer scripture on that, then this is pretty clear to me, right? Now, as I said that, somebody's bubble just got shattered. Their whole life has come tumbling down because you thought that you were God's favorite. Right? I'm sorry. When Brooks was born, she was always my favorite child. When she grew up, I always said to her, she is my favorite child. And it took her a while to catch on well, Dad, I am the only child. I said, but that's right. You're my favorite, right? And then when we lost our son um, a few years ago, we were, we were driving in the car, and she said, Dad, if Ethan was here, who would be your favorite? Would Ethan be your favorite? I said, yes, he would be. He would be my favorite son. And she thought about that. She said, but what about me? I said, you'd be my favorite daughter. He'd be my favorite son you would be my favorite daughter. And, and that's how God looks at us. He looks at you and he says, you're my favorite favorite. And he looks at you and he says that you're my favorite. And you're my favorite. And so are you. And so are you. And, and so is the homeless guy downtown. He's my favorite. And so is the drug addict in a rehab center. He's also my favorite, right? And so is the person that is sitting behind you that took your seat. He's God's favorite too. Come on, I had to go there, right? But God is saying, I don't have any favorites. I love you all. And that is how God sees us. He sees us through the lens of unconditional love. Each and every single one of us. And he dispels the favoritism. Maybe you come from a family where favoritism divided your family. You grew up in a family where one was favored over the other. So you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you know the devastation that that can cause, that that word favoritism can cause. We know what favoritism can do in a church. But you know, God doesn't treat us that way. He doesn't treat his family that way. And this is not how God wants us to operate in his family. Amen? So turn with me to James chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 1. 
And it says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in your glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And then he sets it up and he, and he shows us what that looks like. He says, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes, expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and who is dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or you can sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? James says, let me make this clear for you. Favoritism affects what you see. Favoritism affects what you see. Let me ask you today, what do you see when you go downtown? What do you see right now in this building? What do you see when you look at the people that you do life with? Because favoritism gives you faulty vision. It gives you a distorted view. Favoritism causes blind spots in a world that this scripture that we've just read says, hey, take the favoritism lens off your life. I would take my glasses off, but then I wouldn't be able to see, so we won't go there. But it says, take the lens off your life. This is not how God views the world. He doesn't see it that way. So just as a, an example, where's my two models? Let's welcome them onto the stage. Woohoo! Okay, now, I know we're in Texas. Don't shoot me down. I asked for a, a Cowboys uh, jersey, and no one was willing to come forth. So this is what I had to do, right? So I apologize in advance. But having said that, the moment you saw them walk onto this platform, because you have an affinity to one team or the other, you were drawn to the one, right? And you were like, that is my person. You assumed they thought like you, they acted like you, they are like you. You assumed that, right? when they came onto the stage. And because of that, you're thinking, well, why's this one on the stage, right? But vice versa. Some of you have an affinity, and I do, because she's my favorite child, uh, because of the jersey that she's wearing. And that is how we or the world sees people. It creates blind spots. Amen? James, and because, because we looked at it that way, it is, we're looking at it through the eyes of how we were raised. We're looking at it through the eyes of how we think, previous experiences, family, culture is a big thing, right? So we're either drawn to one or we're drawn to the other. Some of you think Brady, well, was, because now he's left the building, and then some of us thinking Mahomes, right? but you're drawn to one or the other. James is saying, remove the filter, remove the lens of your life, because this is not how God sees us. Amen? Let's give them a warm, well done. Thank you, ladies. Pastor Luke, you know, you're so right. Jesus had no favorites. As a matter of fact, 
Jesus rubbed out every line of favoritism or that favoritism tried to draw between peoples. When the religious people tried to draw a line, Jesus went and he had dinner with a sinner and he rubbed out that line. Where's your line now, right? When they said, Jesus, don't hang around with that kind of woman, he went to the well and he sat down had a conversation with her and said, where's your line now? No, Jesus, you're not supposed to hang around with the tax collectors or those uh, outcasts of society. He went and had dinner with them and met with them. Where's your line now, religious people? And Jesus would challenge continually rubbing out the lines of favoritism, showing them that God has no favorites, that God reaches out to all, and he preached the same gospel to each and every one, no matter which side of the line society had put them on. Now you'd think the disciples that had been walking with Jesus for all these years, that they would get it. That God has no favorites, right? Now each of us have our favorites, I'm sure. You have your favorite food. You're probably thinking about it now. What's, what am I going to eat after the service? And favorite is on top of your list. You have your favorite color, your favorite car. But as a matter of fact, look at your favorite person right now. Look at your favorite person. Can I look at the least favorite on the other side? No, no. <laughs> but we all have our favorites, right? So why does the Bible indicate that there is a problem with having favorite people? How can having favorites get in the way of doing the will of God? Because when we're a Christ follower, we take that favoritism off. You don't get to like a certain group above another. You don't purposefully only hang around with your kind of people and then shun the others that are not your kind of people. You'd think that the disciples got it. And yet we see here, and it's fascinating to see that in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, that Peter says these words which are a little astonishing. Peter knows that Jesus didn't have any favorites. And he went to great lengths to demonstrate that God has no favorites. Peter saw this with his own eyes. Yet Peter finds himself wrestling and going to Cornelius' house, a house filled with Gentiles, and he's already struggling with this, should I go, shouldn't I go? And the trip to Cornelius' house began with, begins to expose some hidden favoritism inside of Peter's heart. The man who'd been around Jesus, this follower, still had some work to be done on the inside, by the Holy Spirit. Only once he saw the Holy Spirit poured out in Cornelius' house, we read Peter uttering these words in Acts 10, verse 34. He says, Then Peter replied, I see clearly that God shows no favoritism. Say that with me. God shows no favoritism. Hold on. Peter, you only realize that now? So far into the book of Acts? What about Jesus when he sat with the woman or when he went to that other guy's house for dinner and everybody else thought, what are you doing? Peter thought he had it. But it's like, man, today my eyes have been opened. And family, our prayer should be, Holy Spirit, give me a Peter moment. Give me a revelation of how you see people. Some of us have been walking with the Lord 20 plus years and yet we still need that revelation, that Peter moment of how did Jesus see the people when he was hanging on the cross? That there are no favorites.
I now realize that God shows no favoritism. And the way I've been viewing people is not the way God wants me to view them. Let's ask ourselves that question. Let's examine ourselves. We must open ourselves up and say, God, show me if the trouble of favoritism is in my heart and deal with it. Let me, let me illustrate that for you. Babe, can you give me the... She's my favorite, just FYI. So, when you first saw these, right, you were drawn visually one way or another. You, were, you had an affiliation to one team or the other. And this is how the world works, right? We see people by their education. We see people by their background. We see people by their social status. We see people the way they were raised or what football team they support. But that's what the world wants us to do. The world wants us to be moved by what we see and our personal preferences. Amen? This is not how God sees us. This is not how He works. Let me show you how He works. If we look at these jerseys, they're very different. Two completely different teams. One is a replica jersey. One is a supporter's t-shirt, right? But if we actually look inside, they're both made by the same manufacturer. The same manufacturer made these t-shirts. And the people that were making these t-shirts couldn't say, well, I, 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 I like this one better than this one, or this one's only a t-shirt and I'm only going to work on this one. No, they couldn't do that. It's the same manufacturer. And I'm here this morning to tell you, we are all made by the same creator. We are all made by the same manufacturer. We all have a designer label. And you know what that is? Made in his image. We are all made in his image. We are all worth the same we are all the same in God's eyes. We are all made in His likeness and we are all made in His image. Amen. We all have the same designer label and that is made in His image. Amen? Amen? And that is what James is saying. You are seeing with your natural eyes in a way that is causing trouble. But when you see with God's eyes, all this stuff becomes irrelevant. It means absolutely nothing. What do you see today? Turn with me to 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Now, just to set this up, God says to Samuel, go and anoint the new king of Israel. He calls Jesse, and they get all the sons lined up, and, and Samuel walks up, and he sees Eliab, and he's like, in his mind, he's thinking, this must be the new king. And look what God says. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the designer label and says, made in his image. What do you see today? The possessions or the person? The behavior or the fact that he's your brother, your sister. What do you see today? Do you see the external or do you see the designer label inside? You're right, Pastor Luke. For us to deal with the trouble, uh, 
the troublemaker of favoritism, we have to change how we see. When we change how we see, it does the second thing. It changes what we say. And it changes how we speak. James doesn't only address how they saw, but he also addresses what they said. We read that in verse 3, the latter part says, But you say to the poor one, you come and stand over here, over there, you go stand over there, or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? So now we see the enemy doing so much damage through the tongues and damaging our together. We don't realize that we're seeing, what we're seeing is shaping some kind of division that we didn't intend. But because we are seeing wrong, we're also saying wrong. Favoritism is a language. It's a language that is exclusive, but together is a language that's inclusive. Family, the Bible is plain. God hates division, but He loves and celebrates diversity. Not one of us in this building looks the same. If you look at your hands, not one fingerprint is the same. Look at all the various creatures that He has created with strange little appendages here and there in spots and colors because He's a creator. He's multisensory. He loves color. He loves diversity. He celebrates it, but it's all designed to dwell together in unity. So when we are all embracing our diversity, but we come together as one and focus on love, we focus on serving, we focus on doing together, doing life together in our groups, fellowship groups, in our serve groups, this unity brings blessing. It brings the presence of God. Psalms tells us that where the unity is, where the brethren dwell together in unity, God commands the blessing. I want the blessing. How about you? Our outlook affects us in more ways than we realize. Like, God, send me a word. But then I don't like the package it comes in. It didn't have the same jersey as me. It doesn't support the same team as I do. It didn't have the same opinion as I do. So I don't think I could learn anything from that person. Hmm. But the miracle you need, that I need, is in the package that we often reject or the package that we are least attracted to. And this is how God works. So we must deal with favoritism as, as it affects the way we see and it affects what we say. Favoritism builds a small world around us. We should rather embrace together and expand our boundaries. Amen? And the enemy knows this. He knows that when we get divided and exclusive, we lose the power of together. Jesus said where two or more gather in agreement, there things happen. Come on now. There is power in unity. So family... Let's analyze. Let's check our hearts. Let's analyze what we are saying here. Are we complimenting one child, one person over another, or favoring one person over another in our lives? Favoritism has a sound, and it destroys together. And we have to address what we think and what we say. So we can bring back the power of together, 
bring it back into our relationships, bring it back into our marriages, bring it back into our homes, and bring it back into our church. Amen? Amen. And it's so true that as we do that and as we analyze these, this favoritism that has tried to get itself into the church, it's important that we ask ourselves, what do we see and what do we say? What do we see and what do we say? And finally, let's see what James says in James 2 verse 8. It says, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. So whatever you say and whatever you do, remember that you'll be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. How do we destroy this troubler of favoritism? We love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We love our brother. We love our sister. We love our neighbor. We let our love go deeper. We let our love spread wider than it has ever done before. We need to beat the enemy at the game that he keeps on winning. We love our neighbor no matter what they look like, no matter what they sound like, no matter what they live like, or even what package they come in. We need to love our neighbor, our brother, our sister, the way the Lord Jesus tells us to. We need to follow the royal law, not the fallen world's way, but the king of kings' way, without mercy, with mercy that triumphs over judgment. Our heart, my heart, is that we would be a people that understands the troubler called, called favoritism. And just in this last two years, and it's been in the church, but it's more prevalent now that this favoritism has come within the church. And my heart is that we understand what it is so that we can shut it down and we, we, we can replace it with something that brings us together. Love finds a way. It sounds cliched, but love finds a way. When we start looking at people through the lens of love, the unconditional love of the Father, that favoritism falls away. Love finds a way for a conversation that moves us forward together. Love finds a way in the midst of division till we come to a place of unity. We can sometimes be so right that we're wrong. James is appealing to the church. Let's not do what the world does. Let us not segregate based on what we see. Let mercy triumph over judgment and let love flow. Perhaps where it's not flown or gone before in a long time. God has no favorites, but he loves us all unconditionally. And he is calling us as his family to make sure that favoritism does not become a troubler, a small fox, or a challenge of what he has sent his only son to create. And that is oneness and unity within the body. 
Because where there is unity, God commands a blessing. Today, I don't know where this finds you. I don't know where you're at. But James is the kind of book where we have to go around the neighborhood again. James is that book where we have to not run away from it, but run to it. We have to ask ourselves the questions. We have to look at James and do some introspection. We have to go to the Word of God. We have to do the work. And like Peter say, I now realize. I now understand. And when we do realize and when we do understand, because we are born from and serve a God of love, His mercy triumphs over judgment. His lens of unconditional love replaces the lens of this world in, in us so that we can see people where He sees us. The biggest takeaway today is that God does not have favorites, but He loves you unconditionally, every single one of us. He loves us all and that we can approach Him without any judgment. Freely we have received, freely we should give without any prejudice from Him as we are all made in His image and His likeness. That very cool label that we all have made in His image, right? Our Heavenly Father forgives us all. He sees all. He loves all. He's there for us all. Today we realize that where favoritism builds a small circle because favoritism does that, it's a very exclusive table. The power of God sets a long table, an inclusive table. He pulls up more chairs. There is always room for one more. There is room for you, for you, the drug addict, the homeless. There is always room for one more. You can come to God's table and sit like anyone else because God's love is there for each and every single one of us. Amen? Like I said earlier, I don't know where you are today. Don't know where you find yourself. But right now, I would just like you to bow your head. Raise your hands to heaven. You might have been affected by this thing called favoritism. And rejection has come into your life. Brokenness has come into your life. Hurt has come in. This thing called favoritism has made you feel that you're not good enough that you'll never amount to anything. You might have been dealing with these things for years. Like Pastor Reddick said, we've been in church for 20 years, but there's certain things that we hold on to. The Lord wants to set you free this morning. He wants to set you free from the effects and the aftermath of favoritism that you have felt, whether it be at home, whether it be in your circle, whether it be at school, whether it, it's, it's even maybe even taken place in the church. He wants to set you free. And if you're bold enough, you can either come to the front, you can stand up in your seat where you're at. Pastor Eric and I would love to pray with you. I know that the Spirit of God is here this morning to set people free. Set you free from the brokenness that you may have experienced. Set you free from the rejection that you may have experienced. Because God doesn't see you that way. 
God sees you through the lens of unconditional love. He sees you through the lens as forgiven, as free, filled with grace, filled with mercy. So if that is you, stand up in your seat or come to the front. Be unashamed because he was unashamed when he went to the cross to pay that price for you so that you can live a fulfilled life, a life set free from rejection and pain and hurt. Thank you. Come forward. The Lord is doing something. I can sense it in the Spirit. God is doing something. He's renewing. He's restoring. He's healing. He's building up. And He's saying to you this morning, you are more than enough. Come forward. I know there's more of you. There's nothing to be ashamed about. And if not, just raise your hands where you're sitting. Because you can receive the same because the Holy Spirit is everywhere. He's actually flooding the sanctuary. He's here. He's present. He is doing a work. And as I'm even speaking right now, people are being set free. Hearts are being healed. Emotions are being healed. Brokenness is being healed. He's making you whole again. And you might have the lens of prejudice in your eyes. You might have the lens of, I'm only affiliated to a certain kind of group or a certain type of people. Or he's breaking that too. And he's renewing your lens. He's renewing what you see with a lens of unconditional love. Because if we want revival to take place, if we want a change to take place within the church, Within this world, we have to look at it through a different lens. And we need to rise up and be bold and say, I am taking a stand. And I, no matter what the package looks like, no matter what people look like, I'm going to love you anyway. Because I see purpose. I see a plan. So if that is you and you need prayer for that, come forward. Come forward. We're going to pray with you this morning. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to lead us in a corporate prayer. and Myself and Pastor Eric will come down and, and lay hands on each and every single one of you. And if you're sitting there and you're tussling, because I sense there's somebody that is in their spirit, that there's this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know what? It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what people say. The most important thing is, you're being set free and you're fulfilling purpose amen let us pray father i thank you for each and every single person and even those that are watching online that haven't they can't come to the front but they're on their knees before the television listening to the service father we break the shackles of rejection we break the shackles of not feeling that I'm worthy or I'm good enough. We break that over each and every single person's life right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, that you're flooding them with your love. You're giving them hope. You're giving them purpose. You're giving them vision. And you're removing that brokenness 
and you're making them whole. Thank you, Lord, for doing a new work in their lives. Thank you, Lord, that you're touching, changing, transforming every single person. The sound of my voice, that wholeness comes. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You have your way here this morning. Do what you do best, and that is restore, and that you make whole, and that you give us purpose, that you give us passion for life again, passion for others. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good, Lord. We love you, we worship you, we honor you, we adore you. We thank you for your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We receive in the name of Jesus. Set free. Set free. Miracles are found in your hands. My eyes are on the wonders of sight. When I don't straight to you, say, The power of Jesus is still in his name. When I don't straight to you, say, The power of Jesus is still in his name. As you're standing and you're ready to receive. If there's anyone that you need to forgive because of what has taken place, say it now. Release them. Release them. Don't allow the poison of unforgiveness to hold you back what the Lord has for you. It's a poison that is not worth consuming. Let it go. Let it go. Release it. I'm going to say, take it one step further. Those that have done anything against you and you need to forgive them, speak blessing over their life. Speak love over their life. Speak purpose over their life. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for showing me.